Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. I'm excited for church today. I hope you find yourself well, and we want to welcome you to City of Life Church. My name is Pastor Franco. I get the privilege of serving as the Dream Team Pastor here at City of Life, and you are home. Do you believe that today? You are home. Our first impressions team out there in the lobby is so amazing, and I'm sure that on your way in, you hear that time and time again, week in, week out. Welcome home. What a privilege and honor it is to be in the house of God. You know, I preached in the first service, and then I thought about whether or not I wanted to take a couple of moments to myself in the back or get a drink of water, but I found myself out in the lobby having conversations, and I thought to myself, what a privilege it is to be able to do life at City of Life Church. It is an honor. It is amazing. It is a miracle to be walking out life, navigating circumstances. I know many of you, I've prayed with you about the circumstances and situations that you found yourself in. It is uh, truly the heart of God that his church would be a community. And there are so many different ways that you can receive and contribute in church community. And I pray that you feel that today, that it resonates with you. Welcome home. You are home. As uh, the announcements mentioned, the Soul Fire deadline is approaching for registration. And if you're the parent of a middle or high school student, you need to register them. I am the product of youth ministry. My life, the reason that I can stand here today is because of what happened at the altar at summer camp. Visions, words from God, conviction, correction. If you are a middle or high schooler yourself, you need to nudge your parent and say, hey, let's figure this out. And if you want to cause that once-in-a-lifetime life-changing experience in the life of someone else, there's an opportunity for you to sponsor a student, to allow a student that wouldn't otherwise be able to go to get their spot in camp. Like I said, the deadline is fast approaching, so right after service, you can head outside of the lobby to register your student. I love this church. It is a privilege and an honor to be a part of this church. I have been a part of City of Life now for 11 years. I came for the first time at a blink. I'm excited about auditions that are coming up in just a couple of weeks. it, It is truly an honor to teach about God in the place that I was taught about God. Pastor Jeff and Pastor Amy cultivating an environment that transforms culture through creativity. And Pastor Gary and Pastor Janison that, ha- that committed their life to this church after hearing from God. It is a privilege and an honor to be here. And I hope you feel the same way. I hope you feel like you can plant yourself and that you are home. It's 4th of July weekend. I hope you enjoy some time with your family. And again, I'm talking all about privileges, but it is a privilege to be able to worship God freely in a space like this. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're going to get shut down we can lift our hands, we can pray out loud, we can intercede for each other. And that is a privilege that's afforded to us. So enjoy time with your family. I hope you have great conversations. 
Um, I don't know that there is ever a great hot dog, but that's just a personal opinion, so I'm not sure that you'll have that. Um, but speaking of family, it's likely that you will, um, you will see family members and you'll go to a gathering and have fun. I'm preaching today all about family. And um, it's something that as I was thinking about what I wanted to communicate to our church, um, I, I, I really prayed that God would give me something that was like, exciting and enthusiastic and fun and hands lifted and everybody standing on their feet raucous applause um, but the Lord challenged me and said preach what you know and I know family and the dynamics that come as a result of, of being in a family and we are all members of families and we've got intersecting roles and you are a son or a daughter. You might be a, a husband or a wife. You might be a mom or a dad. You might be an aunt or an uncle. There are intersecting roles, and you've got a space in your family. And today I want to speak specifically to that point and challenge you to start on the path of reconciliation with your family. It's not very amenable. It's not very hands lifted. But I hope that this would be an encouragement, an admonishment, a challenge to you to start on the path of reconciliation. We're in our summer playlist series and we're taking thoughts and concepts from popular music and trying to extract biblical truth. And today we did some Kanye performances and they had to force me to do it because I was like, I don't want to do Kanye. Kidding. I'm probably the biggest Kanye West fan there is. Um, and the first song we did was Jesus Walks and in the second song, there are some lines that have to do with family. He says, stand up for my home, even if I take this walk alone. I love that idea. And today, my preaching is entitled, Back Up Off My Family. And I hope that you can get some grit about you. I hope you can rally around that title, rally around that thought, back up off my family. And if you don't yet see the value and the purpose in your family, my hope would be to convince you that your family is priceless and your family is valued. So turn with me to Genesis 50, 15. And we're going to read from a story here. Genesis 50, 15 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. I'm preaching today a word entitled, Back Up Off My Family. Back Up Off My Family. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We know your spirit is here, Lord. Would you guide us? Would you encourage us? Would you exhort us to what you have for us here today, Lord? Let no word be spoken that's not inspired by your Holy Spirit. Allow us to grow. Allow us to experience that friction, Lord. Allow us to, to sharpen each other and become more sharp, Lord. We thank you for the fellowship and the family and the community that you have blessed us with at City of Life, Lord. And let this be honoring to you. In your name we pray, amen and amen. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think about family? I imagine uh, for many of us, 
the first thing that comes to mind when you think about family is chancleta. I know for many of us that's, that's the case. Why are they always $3? Why are the chancletas that they use, that moms use, always $3, but they hurt like carbon fiber? Such cheaply produced material, and yet it wreaks such havoc. And why is it that parents use the very thing that they use to kill roaches to hit their kids? Just honor me a little bit more than that. It's not fair. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about family? For many of us in the room, I I imagine that some positive things come to mind. And there are so many covenant leaders here and family members and, and people I know and look up to whose families are beautiful, healthy, intact, upright, all serving the Lord. And um, I'm sure there are people in the room today that when family comes to mind, only negative words are associated with it. And, and only the, the challenges and the turmoil and the trauma that they've experienced as a result of being a member in their family, those are the things that come to mind. And my hope for today would be to level with you and say, I I know the challenge of family. I've made mention of it many times in the past, speaking on this stage that I'm the the child of a single mother. I was raised by a single mother and I went to my dad's house every other weekend and I know the, the dynamics and I know how it is to live in both worlds and how it is to be afforded some uh, some rights at, at one household and, and not be afforded the same rights in one household and being exposed to negative things in one, one household and being exposed to positive things in one household. And, 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 and there are, are holidays and celebrations spent and you get two birthdays, which is not too bad, but um, you've got different dynamics and, and it's, it's challenging and it's muddy waters and it's confusing. I know. I understand. But one of the things that I'm sure that comes to all of our minds, regardless of whether or not you feel positive or negative things about family, one through line that I'm sure we can all attest to is that the fact that family is complicated. Whether you feel positively about your family, whether you feel negatively about your family, we can all attest to the fact that family is complicated. It's messy. It takes work. It requires something of you. And it's complicated. Um, how many parents in the room, raise your hand, um, if your, your children asked you complicated questions? Got some layers here. We've got some... Uh, some layers to peel back if you want the answer to that question. I was that kid. Um, I was that kid who asked my dad some challenging questions. And uh, he gave me answers to varying levels of success and credibility. Um, One time in particular, this was a good answer. I asked him why at eight years old I was not allowed to watch Aliens, a rated R film. Um, Why am I not allowed to watch Aliens? To which he responded, 
you are too young and what you see on the screen will be too complex and confusing to you. You won't be able to process what you see. Satisfactory answer. At eight years old, I stepped back. I said, not going to think twice about it. Not going to watch the R-rated movie until I'm 18. Okay. I was six years old when 9-11 happened. And... Um, my dad is picking me up. I went to his house every other weekend. He picked me up, and, uh, and I asked him, how could someone carry out such atrocities? Like, how could something like this horrible, who could do something like this? Why did this happen? To which he responded, those bad people wanted to destroy our economy. Six years old, um, to which I follow up, what's an economy? <laughs> Unsatisfactory answer. Um, I was young, at an amusement park with my dad, and I see a roller coaster. I was very afraid of roller coasters. And I say to him, boldly, full of faith, full of conviction, I'm going to get on that ride, and I'm going to pray to God that he would protect me because he, he would never let anything bad happen to me. Full of conviction, full of faith, knowing that my God was going to protect me. To which he responds, do not tempt the Lord your God. <laughs> I'm never getting on a roller coaster ever again. I, his wrath is going to be on me if I get on a roller coaster. Unsatisfactory answer. There are complicated questions to ask in family, and there are complicated answers to give in family. Family is complicated. Inherently, when you get that many people in one unit, the way that family is constructed, family is complicated. And unfortunately, those complications can rise to the level that you're willing to dismantle your family because of those complications. And unfortunately, we've seen time and time again that families will run amok and, and be dismantled and, and people cut off. And we don't speak about this uncle. If we're at family gatherings, it's 4th of July weekend. We don't ask why he's not here because there's, all, there's an unspoken reason why they're not here. And they've got this uh, political leaning and they've got this interpretation and they've got this perspective. And it's just easier to uncomplicate things and dismantle the family. And I'm sure that every single person in this room knows that experience. That family member that doesn't get brought up in conversation because we all know we don't talk about them like it's Bruno or something. It's complicated. Not speaking to each other for years. Spending holidays and birthdays estranged. Exchanging gifts in parking lots. You know the Christmas. Where you spent 45 minutes at a Chuck E. Cheese exchanging gifts and that was the allotted time. Getting a pit in your stomach. Anytime someone asks you, what's your relationship like with your parents? Milestones in your life being reached without the support of other family members. But from the outset... I, I want to be clear in what my purpose is on this stage today. I want to show you my hand. I want to uncomplicate it. My goal 
And my aim is to challenge you to start the process of reconciliation between family members. After service, I want you to think of a family member that you may have taken issue with and pick up the phone and give them a call or send them a text and start on the road to reconciliation. If the prospect of doing this scares you, I understand. But my prayer is that you would see family as valuable and important. We've got to get first things first. Do you see family as inherently valuable and inherently important? Because culture is pushing the narrative that whatever makes you uncomfortable is bad and that's grounds for you to cut it off. And in keeping with that theme, then if a family member makes you uncomfortable, then you have grounds to cut them out of your life. Culture is pushing a narrative that what's difficult must be bad. And family members having that conversation, going under the rug and seeing the mess that's been made, that's uncomfortable, it inconveniences me, it challenges me. Therefore, I'd rather just put the rug back over the mess. I, 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 I'd rather keep the skeletons in the closet. It's going to be a 45-minute conversation. I, I, I'd rather a better time. But family is important. The Bible tells us so. God, in his infinite wisdom, as he was constructing the commands and the precepts and the way that he intended for us to lead our lives in the Ten Commandments in Exodus, Ten Commandments God is giving directly to humanity. Number five, honor thy father and honor thy mother. Could it be that the Lord himself, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who set the stars in the sky, is placing a premium on family. One of his ten commandments. The Bible displays for us that family is important and it's worth preserving. Proverbs 11.29 says, Whoever brings ruin on their family will inherit only wind. You will get nothing if you bring ruin on your family. So much so that family is the model that God used to display his relationship with us. God the Father. Jesus cried out, Abba, Father. He relates to us as family members. Jesus is the bridegroom to the church. That's a family dynamic. Family is important. Family is valuable. Family is worth preserving and protecting and restoring and reconciling. These competing interests between culture and what God and the Bible says about family is what spurred me to, to preach around this topic today. We've got to buck against the trend that culture wants to inculcate us with that it's, it's difficult, it's challenging, so I'm going to write it off. And do the harder work of reconciling. And let me be clear, what I'm, what I'm submitting to you today is not an easy path. It sounds fun, and we're only in church for about an hour. You're only hearing me preach for 30 minutes. But if you are going to take hold of this, 
you leave this building and have hard work to do. Reminds me of the time that Pastor Justin took me and a couple other guys to Yellowstone. Now, I really believe that part of my testimony and my anointing has resulted in me being born in Florida because the sea level is where it is. And I belong on the ground. I told you about my fear of roller coasters, and it extends to heights. And Pastor Justin, on this particular day in Yellowstone, says to me, we're going to Mount Washburn, 11,000 feet above sea level. I don't belong there. I belong here on the ground. And the vehicle that we were using on that particular day and on this trip can only be described as a soccer mom van. The speed limit is 80 miles an hour up this mountain. There are no guardrails. I see a sign as we're setting out on this journey that says, snow tracks required. We've got no snow tracks. And you know this about me if you've been to City of Life for a while. I like wearing beanies. So my beanie subsequently goes lower and lower to cover my eyes because of the fear that I'm experiencing. And everybody's making fun of me. But when we reached the mountaintop, we were above the clouds. Our vantage point was beautiful. It was breathtaking. And we could see above so much. So that being the reality and the fact I would like to submit to you that sometimes the path is arduous. The path is fearful. The path is difficult. The path is perilous. But the destination, it's worth it. I want to make a distinction that when it comes to family and when it comes to navigating those muddy waters, you can't overlook abuse. I want to be clear in saying that reconciliation doesn't give grounds for you to overlook abuse. You need to get the necessary authorities involved if the dynamic has risen to the level of abuse. Get the necessary people involved, but I also want to make a distinction that not all discomfort is abuse. We cannot apply the same principles that we apply to making a playlist full of our favorite music to family. Choosing the ones that we like and discarding the ones that we don't like. I understand the temptation to treat family this way because it's messy and it's complicated. And you will unearth things that you wish you hadn't seen, but it's worth it. Complicated should never become a barrier to welcoming necessary conflict. And one of the tactics that the enemy loves to use with regard to dealing with the circumstances in our families is the enemy likes to tell us that what we're experiencing is unique and no one could ever understand and you can't tell anyone because they would just scoff at you and look at you weird. That's The the tactic that the enemy loves to use is to isolate you 
and convince you that you're the only one in the world that's ever experienced anything of the like. But let me encourage you with this. You don't have to go further than three chapters in the Bible to find a dysfunctional family. Adam and Eve were a dysfunctional family. Cain and Abel were a dysfunctional family. Lot's family was a dysfunctional family. Noah's family was a dysfunctional family. We see it all throughout the canon of Scripture. So challenge the lie from the enemy that you're the only one that could have ever experienced something of that nature and combat it with the truth of God's word. And there's one person in one family in particular that I think we can learn a lot from. Their story tells us how to navigate the muddy waters of family dynamics and reconciliation. And that's Joseph. His family story in the Old Testament has real power in the here and now as we navigate this issue of family dysfunction. It's a prime example of a complicated family. And they experience a lot of the things that I'm sure we experience in the here and now. Joseph's brothers were envious. They hated him. There was mistrust in this story. There was betrayal in this story. I'm sure a lot of these terms and concepts ring true for your family dynamic. Hatred, envy, betrayal, mistrust. And you see it, it, it. It's so crazy because oftentimes we're Joseph and oftentimes we're Joseph's brothers in the circumstance and in the situation. As we read his story in Genesis 37, Joseph is a long way off. His brothers see him. There's envy, there's mistrust, and they hatch a plan to get rid of him. They see him a long way off, and they say, look at the dreamer. Isn't that so like us? That we hatch plans And we scheme and we plot to cut family members off. And and I'm going to accuse them of this. And I'm going to say that they they treated me this way. And hatching and, and plotting in order to get rid of Joseph. They sell him into slavery. What's crazy is they sell him into slavery. They hate him so much that they want to kill him. But killing him wouldn't advantage them at all. How like us is this story where we would love to disparage someone, cut them off, make them toxic, make them unapproachable, but we want something in return. We want it to bless us and cause us to gain. God help us. They sell him into slavery. He's in the pit. He ends up at Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife accuses him of sexual impropriety and assault, and he lands in jail. This is a decades-long story. It spans from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. Years go by. And Hebrews 12:15 tells us uh, about a concept that I think rings true in Joseph's story. It says, see to it that no bitter root grows up in you that you don't develop bitterness because of your story. And it it rings true for Joseph because he's in prison, he's in the pit, and yet no bitter root grows up in him. 
He just gets better. The, the word says that wherever Joseph went, excellence followed. When he was at Potter's, Potiphar's house, he was given charge and given claim and given influence to leverage. And he became the most important person in Potiphar's home. Delegating and leveraging influence. And he's the, the right-hand man. And I think we can take something from that story because oftentimes when we think about our family dynamic and we think about the hurt, we think about the trauma, we tell ourselves that we want to get better in order to spite our family members. We want to spite the members of our family that did us wrong. And I just can't wait to post on my Instagram story my paycheck because this will validate and I'm doing it in spite, in order to spite my family member. But let me submit to you that Joseph just got better because it was who God called Joseph to be. You don't need a reason to get better. You just need to step into the anointing, step into the purpose that God has purposed and planned for you. Not in order to spite people, but in spite of the circumstance. Just get better. At every juncture, at every point in the story, Joseph displays this. He just got better. He didn't blame people. He didn't tweet about them. He didn't Facebook about them. He didn't Insta story about them. He just got better. He stepped into his anointing. In the face of wrongdoing, he just got better and better. Thereafter, he's in prison for an extended period of time. No bitter root grows up in him. And then he gets the, the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And he sees seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And as a result of him interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, he, he gets that same influence. And he's, he's the right-hand man of Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth at the time. He just got better, and, and he's responsible for an entire nation. And he, he creates a plan to harvest and, and to make sure they're keeping the abundance in the years of plenty. And then Egypt becomes the, the place that people would, would venture to in order to purchase grain during the famine. And Joseph is responsible for that plan. And he was a logistical genius, and this is the reason why people were able to keep their bellies full. And it, it, it happens to be that Joseph's brothers need to go to Egypt and purchase grain. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. There's a lot of duplicity in the story. There's a lot of interesting things that happen, but they leave, they come back, and then Joseph reveals to them who he is and that he's the brother that they sold into slavery and have caused all of this havoc and challenge and trauma in Joseph's life. And what's funny is that the brothers cower in fear because they know that the power and influence that Joseph leverages and they're worried that, they're gonna, that he's going to use his power against them and ruin their lives likely take their lives. But Joseph, as he's getting acquainted with his brothers, he's reunited. All he has questions about are how his dad's doing, how his little brother Benjamin is doing, how is the family back home? 
He doesn't let that bitter root grow up, and he's just concerned with his family. Overwhelmed with tears. The Bible story actually tells us he has to depart from the room that they're gathering in multiple times to cry and weep because his family is safe and they're okay. What if we heard that our family was okay, that we rode off and cut off, and would we be overcome with emotion the way that Joseph was? Dad's okay. My aunt, my uncle, they're okay. The family member, they're okay. Yeah, they did me wrong, but, but God has kept them safe, and I can enjoy their company again. The brothers go home, and they bring back dad on their return trip. He's in declining health, and he passes away, and that's where we find ourselves in the text scripture that I spoke of at the top of the sermon, and we pick up in Genesis 50, 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves before him. Father has passed away. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. He reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them. I'm not just going to support you. I'm going to support your children. He spoke kindly to them. He accepted them. He, he started on the path of reconciliation. We're going to have the conversations. Remember when he threw me in the pit? We're going to have the conversations. But he spoke kindly to them. And as the reader, we can intuitively surmise that a miracle has occurred. Over the course of Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, we as the reader know without the shadow or beyond the shadow of a doubt that a miracle has occurred. However, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. If I were the writer, the miracle that I would desire above everything else is that the famine would be over. If we were in that situation, if we were in God's shoes, we want the famine to be over. But like I said, as the reader, we know that a miracle has occurred. But the miracle is in Joseph's reaction. Your circumstance might not look better overnight, but you're on the path to restoration. A miracle has occurred when you choose forgiveness. A miracle has occurred when you step on that path to reconciliation. It's not the miracle you want, but it's the miracle that many lives need. As Christians, we must commit to the hard work of reconciliation. It's, it's hours-long conversation, and it's calling on the phone, and it's, it's driving an hour and 30 minutes away to see the family member and, and, and to start on the path, and it's, it's messy, and it's, it's not perfect, and you fumble your words, and you're misinterpreted, and, and you're challenged, and your feelings are hurt, but, but we must be people of a reconciliation. Take responsibility for where you have done the wrong. Forgive for the sake of reconciliation. 
address the wrongs done to you for reconciliation, addressing the wrong that you've done to others for reconciliation. We are reconcilers. You may ask yourself, how, Pastor Franco? You don't know what they said about me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know the lies that they said in my name. You don't know how they treated me. It's been five years. To that, I would respond, I don't. I don't know the pain that you've been through. I don't know the challenges that you face as a result of the family dysfunction. And you know what? Maybe they don't deserve forgiveness. But did we? Jesus, fully God, fully man, man, sent by God, lived a sinless life on this earth, endured the bloody cross for us. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us not deserving any forgiveness and any mercy. His indignation was righteous. He was right to be furious at the sin that we committed. You say, I, they don't deserve forgiveness. I can't reconcile with them. Did you deserve forgiveness? Did I deserve forgiveness? The answer is no, yet he lavishes his love upon us. He calls us sons and daughters undeserving unmerited we deserved none of it this is the prime example of love and forgiveness that's undeserved can we take a page out of Jesus's book and extend forgiveness to others that's undeserved lastly I, I want to mention that reconciliation is really a two-person process and maybe you've got family members that have passed away and you were not reconciled with them in their lifetime. You can resolve unto yourself to extend forgiveness and let that burden go. It's a two-person process, but you can be the person that's committing to the path of reconciliation. Call a family member today. Hit them up. Text them. Instagram DM them. Maybe they blocked you on everything else. Find the thing that you can reach out to them and reach out to them. I want to pray two prayers as we're closing today. I want to pray for those that are moved, are challenged, and want to step on the path of reconciliation. Secondly, I want to pray for people that don't know Jesus, that they, they want to commit their life to Jesus and give him the reins and give him ownership over their life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that first prayer is for you, that you're wanting to step on the path of reconciliation, you're ready to do the hard work, and you don't know how to do it yet because it's so messy and so complicated and you need God to intervene in order for it to occur. Lift your hand if that's you. I want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your unmerited grace and mercy that you lavish love upon us before we speak a word you foreknew it. You knew us while we were in our mother's womb. 
You've got a plan and a purpose for our life, Lord. And this discord that exists, this dysfunction, is the antithesis of what you desire in our lives, Lord. Would you set us on a path of reconciliation? Would you give us a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge by way of the Holy Spirit in order to start on the path of reconciliation, Lord? Comfort us when the going gets tough. Comfort us when the path is difficult, Lord. But remind us of the destination and the plan that you have for our families. And if you don't know Jesus in this room, he died on the cross in your place. The wages of sin is death, and we earned that wage. And he still stepped onto that cross. He was buried. He was resurrected for you and for me. It's through Jesus that we have eternal life. It's through Jesus that we have freedom. It's through Jesus that we have hope. It's through Jesus that we have purpose. And if you want to accept Jesus today, I want to extend that opportunity to you. Why don't you lift your hand? I want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Let's all repeat this prayer out loud. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Your grace your mercy, your mercy is, undeserved. is undeserved. Yet you lavish, you lavish your, love upon me. your love upon me. I thank you that you know my name. You know my story. You know my pain. You know my, pain. You know my, trauma. You know my trauma. And you love me. And you love me. From, now on, From now on, it's no longer me first and me always. Me first and me always. It's Jesus first. It's Jesus first. And Jesus always. And Jesus always. Amen and amen. Why don't you lift up praise amen. on a Sunday? Go and call a family member. Call a family member. Love you guys. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.